Let's get it going on the Locked On Thunder podcast on the Locked On Podcast Network, your teams every day. I'm your host, Rylan Styles. You can follow me on Twitter at Rylan underscore Styles. That's at R-Y-L-A-N underscore S-T-I-L-E-S. You're about to listen to part two of my conversation with Brady Trantham finishing up the Thunder Book of Basketball. It's been a great series. We've had Andrew Schlecht on to cover Thunder U from The Athletic. We've had on John Hamm to cover the golden era of Thunder basketball. And now our conversation with Brady Trantham wraps up today covering the Brody era. This episode is brought to you by Built Bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and save $10 off your first order. Built Bar, it's a protein bar that tastes just like a candy bar. Now, Wednesday's episode was recorded and posted before the Lou Dort news. If you have been living under a rock and haven't seen the news from the Thunder, Lou Dort has been signed to a multi-year deal worth $5 million. I'll dive into it fully on Monday, but I did want to point that out at the top of the show because we have not got to talk about that this week. It's a great deal for the Thunder. I can't believe that they talked Lou Dort into signing that deal, but we'll get into all of that on Monday. Enjoy my conversation with Brady Trantham to finish up the Thunder Book of Basketball. So I want to ask you this real quick as we're on wrapping up Russell Westbrook, then we'll get back into this just entire era because this is the Russell Westbrook era, so it makes sense. But why, why do you think it is that we've, we've seen a different Russell Westbrook in Houston? Is it just a, a simple wake-up call of the last two postseasons not going the way he wanted it to? And really, since being departed from Kevin Durant, his, really his season's not going the way it wants to. Uh, why are we seeing him do the load management, eliminating the three ball stuff that Thunder fans have been crying out for him to do the past two years. Did Oklahoma City not want him to rest? Uh, or is it just a simple fact of, hey, it's a change of scenery. Uh, he, he saw what happened in the past, and now he wants to fix it. As simple as it may seem, just, just to say a change of scenery, like it's really not that simple, but I'll just go ahead and say like blanket statement. Yeah, sure. I think it had a lot to do with the change of scenery. And a lot of that has to do with um, something that Billy Donovan told me. I was actually working on a story about Shea Gittles Alexander and just the differences how, of how the Thunder are going to probably use him as their face of the franchise compared to how they had Russell Westbrook be the face of their franchise. Just because you are the face of the franchise does not mean you're going to play the game in the same way as the former face of the franchise. But uh, something that Billy Donovan told me was, you know, when Kevin left and Russell decided to stay – he understood what he had to do for this team, for this franchise. And it transcended what he – like, it just transcended what goes on inside these walls and inside the walls of the Chesapeake Energy Arena. He had to be the Oklahoma City Thunder. He had to live and breathe the Oklahoma City Thunder. He carried the entire city on his back and all their fans. So that emotional, visceral way that he plays was better suited for the Thunder it's not better suited at all for the Rockets because it's simply not his team. It's not his organization. He did not grow up there um, as a Houston Rocket player. Um, he is coming there as an outsider, as a new guy with, you know, whether or not you think James Harden is as good as Paul George, or if you think Paul George is better than James Harden, I mean, that's a different topic for a different day, but he's got another elite teammate in James Harden. And simply put, whenever Russell has had an elite teammate, He's typically been better. It goes back to Kevin Durant. It goes back to Paul George. But I think we were a little bit uh, snake-bitten as uh, a media contingent covering the Thunder and, and as a fan base for the Thunder um, because if Paul George doesn't get hurt last year, 
I think we were seeing a lot of what we're seeing out of Russell Westbrook now where he was taking more of a backseat because he understood this is Paul George's show right now. He's by far the best player on the floor. I'm going to take a step back, not shoot as many threes, not try to will myself into the game so much more than I probably should and let Paul do his thing. Russell is just doing what is asked of him in Houston. And I think we saw a little bit of that um, in Oklahoma City with Paul George, but then Paul George got hurt and then it forced Russell Westbrook that we know to kind of come back and rear its ugly head as the season wore along and then ultimately into that postseason series with Portland. So diving back into this era here, whenever the Paul George trade goes down, it was, a, of course, a late night Woach bomb. What was your reaction? I, I was bouncing off the walls. I couldn't sleep. We were going to Kansas City the next day. I, I couldn't sleep. I just slept in the car on the way to Kansas City because I was bouncing off the walls. So excited that Paul George was coming here. I love Sabonis. He was my guy more so than Oladipo. I thought Sabonis was going to be great. He is great. But I was just so ecstatic. Did you feel like the Thunder pulled off highway robbery? What did you think whenever the trade went down? Well, I thought it was highway robbery, not because I thought Sabonis and Oladipo were washed or not going to amount to anything, but just because what did we hear the whole time after Sam Presti signed Victor Oladipo to that extension? It's too much money. It's an unmovable contract. The Thunder are now, you know, they're, they're now slaves to that contract. And Presti, I don't, I don't know if you've ever, you know, followed this or caught on to this, but it seems like anytime Presti is given a situation where there's no flexibility, Sam Presti is able to find something to salvage as much as possible. At least some, it might be misguided optimism, but optimism nonetheless moving forward where there was otherwise no optimism prior. I mean, Carmelo Anthony's the same way. Like there's no way, there's no way this is going to work. This is not going to work for the Thunder. And guess what? He, he turns into Dennis Schroeder, which is more optimism for the, you know, for the long run. Um, so I thought it was highway robbery from that standpoint, but also my my far-fetched idea of what the Thunder were probably trying to do in terms of getting a second superstar to play with Russell Westbrook, because at the time, uh, Russell had simply just done the one-and-one. He had not signed the full max extension just yet. So it's not just from the standpoint of we need to get better as a team to try and get back to where we were chasing championships. That's why we need a superstar. We also need another superstar because we want our first superstar to want to stay here. And I always thought that the direction they were going to try and go to was Bradley Beal. I don't know if the money or the contracts were right at this time. I can't really remember. can't put myself in that frame of mind just yet. But just from the standpoint of Billy Donovan was the head, was the head coach of, Billy, of Bradley Beal in college at Florida. And I've had a lot of, you know, off, off the record conversations with some Thunder officials over the years where we just kind of talk about the game, talk about other players. And more times than not, Bradley Beal's name will come up and it just gives me the – it always gave me the impression that, man, the Thunder really do like Bradley Beal, and the idea of Russell and Bradley Beal playing together sounds pretty interesting. It sounds like it should work. Um, so when Paul George got traded here, it was so far out of left field because it's a superstar player. It's not the superstar player that I prepared myself mentally for, so it made it that much more, oh, my God, what is going on? <laughs> so the same question with Melo – uh, whenever they trade for Carmelo Anthony, I did not think that this was going to be like a huge big three. My biggest takeaway from this trade, it wasn't even on the court. It was just amazing to me that someone with the stardom and the power and the, you know, again, just being a star that Carmelo Anthony is, would exactly. waive a no trade clause to come to Oklahoma City. Exactly. And that's, that's something that I've tried to stress to people more times than not about 
whenever Melo's name comes up, because it's usually like, man, what a waste that was, or how silly was it to think that that was going to work. At the end of the day, Carmelo Anthony chose to come to Oklahoma City. 13-year-old me would have laughed at that. I mean, obviously, there's no thunder, there's no NBA team in Oklahoma, but if just the thought of Carmelo Anthony playing professional basketball in Oklahoma of his own free will was just so foreign to me, and it's one of the coolest things that I've ever got to experience. Every single day I got to talk to Carmelo Anthony and he is just the polar opposite of Russell Westbrook in terms of media relations. The guy is smart. The guy is savvy. Um, he understands and somewhat appreciates the role that the media play in uh, professional basketball. He, he chops it up. He enjoys that aspect of, of the game um, and would always give me great answers. And what oftentimes, like if I just had a question about the game, and he's sitting there in the locker room and I ask him like, Hey, you did this. Like, was that kind of spur of the moment? Was that just you like freestyling or is like, is that a part of it? And he would pull out his iPad and show me the highlight and really break it down for me so that, because he, he appreciates when people want to learn. So, um, the mellow thing, like it's still shocking to me whenever I think about it, that I used to talk to him all the time. And so uh, it's one of the cooler experiences that I've had covering the team for sure. Another cool experience will be going over to BuiltBar.com and getting yourself a package of Built Bars. Built Bars are protein bars that taste just like a candy bar. Go to BuiltBar.com, use promo code LOCKEDON, and get $10 off that first order. Built Bars are phenomenal. Low in calorie, low in carb, low in sugar, high in protein, great for pre-workout, post-workout, and even as a meal replacement. I cannot recommend Built Bars enough. They are truly incredible. I love the banana nut bread flavor. I also love anything with peanut butter because of that chocolate coating on the outside. They're chewy. They're easy to eat. There's no bad aftertaste. There's no chalkiness to your mouth while you're trying to swallow it down. It's the best protein bar I've ever tasted. It'll be the best protein bar you've ever tasted if you go to BuiltBar.com right now and you order yourself a box of Built Bars. Again, BuiltBar.com. Promo code LOCKEDON. Save $10 off that first order, and let me know what you think on Twitter about your next package of Built Bars. And while you're enjoying that Built Bar, try reading a book or listening to a book, because let me tell you about our good friends over at Blinkist. One of the most useful apps on my phone is Blinkist. It works on your phone, your tablet, your web browser. Blinkist takes the best and key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books, and allows you to listen to them or read them in just 15 minutes. I throw Blinkist on while I'm getting some work done at my desk, and I want you to try it out yourself. Go to Blinkist.com right now, and for a special time, a limited time, they're giving our audience a free seven-day trial with 25% off that subscription fee at Blinkist.com slash NBA. Blinkist has an unlimited access of nonfiction books, a massive library of nonfiction books that you want. All the books you want for one low price at Blinkist.com. That's B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T.com slash NBA to start your first seven days free and save 25% off your subscription. Again, promo code NBA at Blinkist.com for the best source for nonfiction books. And I thought that even that trade was a great trade for the Thunder at the time. And obviously it turns into Dennis Schroeder that of course you go for a future Hall of Famer uh, to add to Russell Westbrook again to make him feel better, uh, Westbrook, and make him feel like you're really going for it. Uh, all you had to give up with was Doug McDermott and Enos Kanter. Uh, and it's funny, Enos Kanter comes back in game one of last year's playoffs and bites you. But still, I thought that this trade was a great one, uh, especially from the standpoint of he's choosing to go from New York 
to Oklahoma City. I thought that that was I thought that, that was just amazing back then. Yeah, and you know he also you know Carmelo Anthony becomes Dennis Schroeder, which um, no one is for sure what Dennis Schroeder's future is with the organization as of right now. I mean everything is a little bit up in the air at this point. It's just even hard to fathom what's going to happen with Chris Paul or Danilo Gallinari or Dennis Schroeder. But um, if the Thunder are able to find a suitable trade partner where they get what they want and Dennis Schroeder gets what he wants, then you can even go back to the Carmelo Anthony trade uh, of, if, of it becomes Dennis Schroeder and then it becomes, let's say, like another young player and a draft pick. So it just keeps yielding positive optimism and kind of what we talked about earlier with Sam Presti. But um, yeah, that, that was an interesting team. But um, just like how Paul George, Russell Westbrook um, against Portland didn't age well, that's, that team that season did not age well as well. And you're right. You, you mentioned about, you know, you can't move the mellow contract. You can't move the Oladipo contract. You can't move the Westbrook contract. It feels like Sam Presti, whenever you say he can't do something, he's going to go do it. Yeah. I mean, I guess, I guess people just need to start saying that he can't win a championship. So, uh, I mean, then I, I would, I would assume that the Thunder would win a title if, if that be the case. But I guess one more quick thing about Mel as it pertains to Russell, um, just to get it all the timeline straight. Um, how much did Mello affect Russell wanting to stay long-term at the time with the Thunder? That's, you know, up for debate, but what was it two days later or a day later after Mello was uh, traded to Oklahoma city, Russell then decides to sign his max extension. Mm-hmm. So uh, I guess you can draw your own conclusions from that. So it was, it was important, not just from the standpoint of that season and how it pretty much aged, which everybody agrees is not very good, but it helped keep Russell Westbrook there at the time for long-term. And that's a, that's a gigantic victory for a market like Oklahoma city. So this era, whenever you get the media day out there and the, the who me talking about Melo coming off the bench, uh, am, am I wrong in saying that the highlight of this entire year uh, of George Mello and Westbrook had to be the Thanksgiving game whenever OKC blew out the Warriors, Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook go forehead to forehead. I'm up in loud city, screaming my head off, uh, you know, at this game, <laughs> thinking that, that this Thunder team was actually a title contender. Is that the lone bright spot of this, of this year? Well, I'd even say uh, later on that year when they went to Oakland and beat the Warriors by 20, and I believe that was a game where Mello, and, and this was kind of the beginning of the end for the Mello experience in Oklahoma City because I think, what, two or three minutes into that game, Mello rolls his ankle and doesn't return, and then the Thunder just start destroying uh, the Warriors with Russell Westbrook and Steven Adams. And that was kind of the beginning, like I said, of like, oh, are the Thunder actually better with Melo off the floor for extended periods of time? Huh. Um, but, yeah, it's either, it's either the Thanksgiving game against Golden State, like you said, or that one later on in Oakland. But um, that team, man, like they, they would do that. They would beat Golden State. They'd beat the crap out of Golden State. They would beat the crap out of the Spurs. And then they would turn right around and lose to the Kings at home. So which playoff loss was worse? Just, uh, you know, as a fan, as somebody who, who loves Oklahoma, and of course the Thunder, what playoff loss was worth between Utah and Portland? I think, I think as it went along, I think the Portland one was just because of the just arrogance from Russ, not just Russell, but from Paul George, because I, I get what he means when he says that's a bad shot that final buzzer beater that Dame shot to ultimately eliminate the Thunder, that's a bad shot. Like, I get what he means. But in that series, I think Dame was like six of eight from shots from that far away. 
I, I get that you're upset. I get that you're defensive. You just don't say it. So the arrogance of that team as that series went along to me makes it worse. But Utah was just so surprising because you've got your best player in Donovan Mitchell, who's a rookie. Rookies don't do well in the postseason. Well, Donovan Mitchell looked like a top five player in that series. A lot of it had to do with the fact that the Thunder had no answer for him. Uh, Carmelo Anthony was an absolute defensive uh, mismatch um, in a bad way for the Thunder. And there was little Billy Donovan can do because you, I know he's the head coach, but part of your job as an NBA coach is mitigating ego. And Carmelo Anthony has a gigantic ego. If you just blindly sit him like Twitter is screaming for him to do and you get past this series, but in the next series you need him, how engaged is he? So you're constantly coaching for the future. So I understand Billy Donovan being in a rock and a hard place with that. But um, I mean, it's really, that's, it's a good question. And I know I kind of ramble on when, um, with, with questions like this, and I'll give you like kind of a half answer. Um, I had bad taste in my mouth for, from all sides, like as a, me, a member of the media, uh, as a fan of the game of basketball. Both, both series had some embarrassing looks, but at least in my opinion against Portland, Russell didn't go out of his way to torpedo his team's chances because he wanted to get in, get in a fight with um, uh, Mo Harkless. <laughs> So for me, I, I think by the Portland series, I was, I was just already like halfway out of that game, especially after game one. I was already halfway off of that team. Uh, but just the Utah series, like, again, you mentioned Donovan Mitchell just going off, which for a rookie is unheard of. And then everyone on the Thunder looked terrified of Rudy Gobert. They were so scared to drive in. Even Russell Westbrook just wouldn't drive into the lane against Rudy Gobert, and he's a great defender. But they, he, they literally looked scared of that matchup. And then the Ricky Rubio aspect of it. At least with Portland, Dam- Damian Lillard went off. And yeah, you, you got beat by Enos Kanter in the first game. He had a phenomenal game in that game one. But really, you got beat by, by Damian Lillard, a banged-up CJ McCollum. But getting beat by a rookie and Ricky Rubio just never stuck well with me. And, and Joe Ingles going off. I mean, there's so many things about that Utah series that I just cannot stand. And then you mentioned, of course, Donovan not going to Grant in the small ball lineup that worked so well earlier with Melo and all that happened there. The Utah series just really, really still sticks with me. Yeah, I think the thing that we all learned and even the NBA like as a whole learned with the Utah series was Melo is just never going to be a role player. He's never going to be a guy that he will make some, some active sacrifices that I'm sure he's okay with, but he's never going to be the type of role player that if you go into a series – you can't sit him down and tell him, we don't need you this, this series. We're going to play you like 13 minutes and we're going to go small ball with Jeremy Grant at the five. If we need you at a later series, we will play you 30 minutes like we normally do. Like he is just not that type of player. And unfortunately, Billy Donovan had to deal with that, which is why we probably didn't get to see a lot of those Jeremy Grant at the five lineups that work so well. Um, I mean, yeah, I mean, at the same time, both series are kind of unfair to judge because Paul George is not healthy in either one. And when Paul George is healthy, the Thunder are by far a much better team. Um, As that Utah series went along, Paul George was awful. As the Portland series began, Paul George was hurt and awful for the most part. But as it wore on in game uh, three, game four, game five, he started to resemble closely what he was looking like during his MVP run of that season. And unfortunately in that game five, you know, it gets forgotten, but Paul George had an incredible game. And if Dame doesn't hit that shot and the Thunder are able to squeeze that game out, who knows what a healthier Paul George and Russell Westbrook kind of going back to Oklahoma city does to that series. Do they win? Probably not. But 
Um, embarrassing, very embarrassing on the floor. Uh, Utah, embarrassing off the floor, Portland. And that's how I'll dumb it down the easiest. <laughs> so after the Damian Lillard shot, I, I again, am, I'm with the general public here of that that shot actually helped the Thunder a lot more than it helps Portland. Uh, but I think that the, that the Thunder clearly won the, the Russell Westbrook trade, clearly won the Paul George trade. Do you have any argument to that? Whew. Well, I think clearly in the short term, you have to say yes. And then because we, do, we can't predict the future, but the Thunder have so many draft picks to the point where it kind of makes you think, well, they have, to, they have to actually try and fail at this <laughs> in order for it to not work because they just have so many damn draft picks. Um, I, I guess you have to say yes, but it's never a good thing to trade the face of your franchise. It is never a good thing to say goodbye to a superstar and hope. Like, Shea Gilles Alexander is a great player, and we all have an idea of what he's going to be, but you can never bank on the future because you just don't know. What if Shea Gilles Alexander just develops an injury problem and that becomes his, his career? Like the, These are questions that we're going to find out with time, but that's why – the base argument is it's just never a good thing to trade a superstar, but uh, for this to happen, this situation, we've seen this with other markets, other small markets over, you know, over the time that we've ever watched sports. And typically these small markets go right back into the gutter where they came from, but the Thunder are able to still be relevant and play meaningful basketball, even despite trading a superstar. So um, I guess you could say the Thunder clearly won the trade. And for Paul George, I mean, you, you got way more than what Paul George himself should have been worth because, of course, that was tied to Kawhi. And the fact that, you know, Sam Presti was able to get that done so fast before anyone goes public with that Paul George trade request and uses Toronto as leverage and things like that. I mean, you're never going to see that historic call again. And throw in Shea as well, throw in Gallo as well, if you can sign and trade him and turn him into another asset this offseason. I mean, you look on down the line and it just looks like they've clearly – won that trade, and then you move Russell Westbrook, who wanted out, uh, and you move in, quote-unquote, immovable contract for draft swaps and Chris Paul, whose Chris Paul's trade value skyrocketed now this season, and Keith Smith thinks that there's going to be several teams in line uh, that want to give up assets for him. I think that it's just a no-brainer to me. Of course, it's sad losing Russell Westbrook, especially, a guy that you've known in Oklahoma City since, they've, since they moved here, and, and it sucks losing Paul George, who was an MVP candidate last year, but at some point in the small market teams, like you said, you have to lose guys. And I trust Sam Presti with 15 first round picks to make this all worth it. And the only yeah. way I can see that the Clippers make it worth it is by winning a title. And that's really hard to do. And I don't think that Houston has a, sh has a shot at winning the title. So those are the two options that Houston and LA have to make these titles, make these trades worth it. Oklahoma City has a ton more that they can do to, to sit, look back and say, wow, those were great trades. Hell, I'd argue that the Clippers need to win three titles in the next two seasons in order for it to be <laughs> worth it because of just what they had. They had to fleece their entire future on the backs of a guy who are of two players who it's really hard to pinpoint what they're going to be doing the next day, let alone the next year. So because they're not going to win three championships in two years, like the Thunder probably won out on this one. But um, in terms of Russell Westbrook being traded, I would say I've always kind of viewed it as – it's not a breakup. It's not a divorce. It's just you're, you're in a relationship. You're in a long-term, you're in a long-distance relationship with that player. Like the Thunder and Russell Westbrook are always going to be tied together. They're always going to be synonymous with one another. Russell's going to have his statue probably outside the arena in the next 10 years. He's definitely going to have his jersey number retired in the Raptors of Chesapeake Energy Arena. Uh, and you saw that 
the, the two times the Thunder had to go down to Houston, the respect and admiration that both sides had for one another. And then when Russell came back to Chesapeake Energy Arena, uh, the love and the admiration from both sides was was strong. And Russell in the post game show or the post game interviews was as emotional as I've ever seen him. Um, it, he's always going to be an Oklahoma City Thunder basketball player just because he's got a Rockets jersey on right now doesn't take away from that. And when he's done and playing basketball and, and having retired, he's always going to be remembered as a member of the Oklahoma City Thunder. And because the trade and the exit was so amicable on both sides and both sides got what they wanted, I think it helped perpetuate that that's going to be the case as we move along down the line five, ten years from now. So it's easy to say this behind a microphone and not having the decisions of a franchise resting on your shoulders. But if you're the Clippers, why did you go up so much for Paul George? I mean, you would think that you could just make this public and have all the player empowerment leverage from Paul George and call Kawhi's bluff. He's not going to go play with LeBron. It didn't seem like he wanted to go play in Toronto. What am I missing here? Why, why would you just go ahead and suck it up and give out every future asset you have to the Oklahoma City Thunder? Well, because at the same time, like when we're talking about the Thunder long-term have the Clippers' future in their back pocket, sure. But small markets, I feel like, have a better – they have a better environment to think long-term than markets like L.A. or New York. Markets like L.A. and New York want and need to win now. And a lot of that has to do with the fact that they can just easily get guys like Paul George and Kawhi Leonard because these players all live there. They want to live in L.A., so they don't have to think in terms of three or five years down the road, if we develop all these players, maybe we can be good. They have to think in terms of how do we get Paul George? How do we get Kawhi Leonard? What do we need to do? Okay, that's what we need to do. Let's go do that. So small markets, big markets obviously operate differently. And I think that that's the difference that you've seen is they're willing to just go all in on one or two years, where the, whereas the Thunder are rarely ever willing to go all in on one or two particular seasons in the short term. They're always thinking about down the road, trying to be relevant now, trying to develop now. Whereas Clippers, Lakers, Knicks, uh, Celtics, you know, markets like that, they're just, they want to win now and try and get the best players possible because it is kind of easier for them to get them in the first place. So Shea has been the biggest piece of all of, all of these trade rumors and, and trade, you know, trades, I should say. How good can Shea be? I mean, that really depends on your idea of what makes a, a player great. I think Shea Gillis-Alexander can be great. Now, does that mean he's going to be, like I said earlier, Russell Westbrook ball dominant, everything runs through him, he is the you know, high-volume, high-usage guy? Well, no, that's not what makes Shea Gillis-Alexander a good basketball player. He's a good basketball player because he does so many things at the same time on both ends of the floor, and a lot of it has to, doesn't necessarily have to do with the fact that he has the ball in his hands he can be great without the ball in his hands so I think for the foundation of the Thunder are trying to set for their next decade of basketball is let's not be as iso hero ball centric as we were uh, because we had Kevin Durant and Russell Westbrook two incredible iso hero ball dominant players we've got Shea Gilles Alexander as the foundation we've got Chris Paul for him to learn from and to help set that new foundation and new culture, we want to have team basketball. And you already have, you know, seeds moving forward to get excited for that. Like a player like Darius Baisley is a good fundamental team basketball player. And if he develops into a better player uh, with more time, you've got Shea, you've got Darius, you've got two guys that can handle the ball. You've got two guys that can facilitate the offense. You've got two guys that can play both ends of the floor at high levels. 
that's a great foundation for team basketball. And I think if the Thunder are able to do that and draft around Shea Gales Alexander and get better specific, you know, a shooter, a defender, a rebounder, maybe another two-way guy, maybe another ball handler here and there, and the Thunder are able to get back to contending for playoff spots, a lot of it's going to be because of Shea Gillis Alexander. And then by default, he becomes a great all-star level player in that echelon of players across the league. Across the internet, there's no better place to get car parts than rockauto.com. Rockauto.com is a family-owned business that's been serving auto parts to customers for over 20 years. Go to rockauto.com to shop for auto and body parts from hundreds of manufacturers. 20 years ago, you probably had dial-up internet. You certainly had no idea how to work your email properly. You could have been buying auto parts from rockauto.com 20 years ago. Their catalog is easy to use. It's remarkably easy to navigate. Quickly see all the parts available for your vehicle and choose the brands and the specific price tier that you prefer. Unlike your local chain auto parts store, there is no upcharge from rockauto.com based on who the user is that's buying it. From professionals to do-it-yourselfers, everyone gets caused, everyone gets charged the same amount. So go to rockauto.com right now and write locked on in the how did you hear about us box and they'll know what to do from there. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need, rockauto.com. So for me, I think that Shea's going to be an all-star and he is an all-star level player. And then, like you said, how do you define great? Do you define great by winning? Because I think that Shea is going to be a winning basketball player. Uh, maybe not maybe not a guy that you look at and say that's top five in the NBA the way you would with Kevin Durant. Uh, but I think that Shea can – you can literally put any player in the NBA around him. I have been looking and looking the past couple of weeks for a, for a pairing with Shea that I would look at on paper and say that's not going to work. I can't find one. I think that Shea can fit with any good player in the NBA. And so that provides Sam Presti, who we all consider to be a top GM in the NBA – so you have a ton of room to build a contending championship-level team around him. So that's my opinion of Shea. I think he's for sure an all-star level player. Uh, and then he's a winning player because, again, there's none of this, well, if they bring him in, what happens with the rest? Does he fit with the rest? It's, it's okay, bring him in. Let's, let's go. He's a good player, and Shea's going to work around that. Is, that. is that being too optimistic on Shea? No, because that's exactly what the Thunder, that's how they view him. That's how Billy Donovan views him. Um, that's, I've asked Billy Donovan countless times this season before it got put on hiatus of like, okay, well, is there, are you wanting him to have more of an emphasis on the boards? And Billy will say yes. And then I will say why. And then a lot of Billy's answers basically are just because I know he can do that really well. He can affect the game positively in more ways than just touching the ball by passing the ball or by scoring the basketball. And we want to try and unleash that out of him on our opponents like it's going to take time for him to like for the light bulb to come on to where he can pick and choose the spots of I got to score here or I've got to slash here or I've got a rebound here once he figures that out he is going to be like you say a, a winning basketball player and again that that means a lot of things as well because we're talking like the Chris Paul's on this team he is a winning basketball player a lot of people would consider him a winning basketball player but this is a guy who doesn't have a championship and doesn't outside of one season or two seasons, excuse me, doesn't have a lot of postseason uh, success, yet he's still a winning basketball player. So while the Thunder have a good foundation, they still have a ways to go, and they have to bank on some things that they don't necessarily have control on and hit with these draft picks. But again, they have so many draft picks that they would have to fail at this or to, to try and fail at this in order for it to not work. So that leads into the question for this era of 
after this year's over, whatever this may bring in Disney World, after, after we've left Mickey Mouse's clubhouse, do the Thunder tank or do they not tank? What, what would you say that the Thunder do right now? I don't think they should tank. I, I, I put a lot of stock, and this might be cheesy, I put a lot of stock in having a winning culture because when you bring in players, even if they're not here for the long term, but they're still here, um, they're serving a purpose. And if players understand that they're going into a situation with the Thunder, that, yeah, Oklahoma City is not the most desirable market to go play in, but at least they know when they come to Oklahoma City to play for the Thunder, okay, we're here to win. We're here to get better. We're here to develop. And I think that that sets a good foundation for uh, to have your market as small as it is to be, frankly, kind of desirable for some type of player, for a lot of players across the league that would otherwise have negative, uh, negative views of Oklahoma City. If they're tanking, actively tanking, in what way is this, is this city, is this market desirable to play in? It's like, yeah, we're tanking to try and get like Zion Williamson level players, and then we can turn it on. You can't just turn on winning. It's, you can only control so much in sports, but what you can control is trying to actively win and trying to actively develop your team. And the Thunder have a good little in-between team where they've got some vets, um, they've got some mid-level guys like Steven Adams that have been in the, the program for a long time, but they're still relatively young in basketball terms. And then you've got your young bucks like Shea, Darius, uh, Terrence Ferguson, Lou Dort, um, that can help usher in the next decade of Thunder basketball. Um, it's a really good bridge of a team where you can still win and your players, your young players, learn how to win in important situations. They're not being thrown out there down 30 in the third quarter of a game where their team, team is actively trying to tank, you're not going to learn any lessons in games like that. You might score, but you're not going to learn. You're going to learn when it's a tight ball game where every little mistake is magnified. Let's point to that, uh, that loss in Oklahoma City against Boston where Marcus Smart picked Shea Gillis Alexander's lunch at the end of the game. That was a great moment for Shea's development. If the Thunder are tanking, they're not in that situation for Shea to learn that for something down the road. So I, I put a lot of stock in winning um, I don't believe in the purgatory of you're kind of in the playoffs or you're fighting for the playoffs, but you're not in the lottery, but you're not contending for a title. I put a lot of stock in winning. So two-part question here to, to kind of wrap up this era, because this does bleed into this year. Number one, what would you consider Chris Paul's trade value to be? Because I did have Keith Smith on last week, and he said that you know several teams would be ecstatic to, to give up assets for Chris Paul, whereas in the offseason we thought, hey, you know, the Thunder are going to need to attach something to get off of Chris Paul. That's not the case anymore. So what would you put his trade value at? And then number two, is he going to be on the Thunder roster next year? I'd say for the first part of the question, Rylan, um, his, his trade value, I think it's to the point now where the Thunder, like you said, I don't think they'd have to attach something that they would otherwise not want to part with. They may still have to attach something, but it might be, you know, maybe a second round pick, maybe a guy like, uh, maybe if the Th I don't know this to be true, but let's say the Thunder had a souring opinion of Terrence Ferguson's development. Um, if they had to part with him because they'd have that opinion of him moving forward, it wouldn't be necessarily like, like we need to trade for, we need to trade Chris Paul. Yes, but I don't want to trade Terrence Ferguson in this scenario. Um, I think it would work out, but, um, I think GMs, other teams, other front offices have understood, like Thunder fans have understood this season watching Chris Ball, that he is still a player that moves the needle. He is still a player that can affect 
winning. He's still a, a player that can fit in any system, uh, any team, any city, and you're immediately a better team. He is a playoff machine. He can get your team to the playoffs. And if you have otherwise good players around already and you just simply bring him in, he certainly raises your ceiling as a franchise. And I think um, teams understand that, that even though he's 35 now, the way he plays basketball, he can, he can play for a few more years at the same level because he's not doing this with extremely talented athleticism. He's just running mid-range pick and rolls and uh, being smarter than his opponent. That age is well. So I think, especially with a lot of these teams going to be, um, be in the same building in the same city in Orlando when the NBA is able to come back, I think you're going to have a more hyper-focused set of eyes on Chris Paul. So that might even increase the number of interested franchises moving forward into the offseason. I think the Thunder are going to uh, be able to find that trade partner that gives them maybe a young player and then future draft assets down the road as well. I think that that chance has greatly increased with Chris Paul's play this year. And uh, I, I would say to part two of your question, um, I can't remember it because I talk too damn much. <laughs> Will Chris Paul be on the roster next year? Yes, yes, yes. I, I think because we're in such a unique situation right now, it's going to be an accelerated offseason. It's going to be an accelerated draft uh, period. I would say something big like that, the chances of that happening are pretty slim. But I think... Going into next season, obviously this means Chris Paul is going to be with the Thunder going into next season. I could see a scenario where he has moved during the season. It's like, okay, as soon as like normalcy kind of returns and we've had a lot of games under our belt in the post-COVID-19 era that we live in right now, once teams get a little bit better acclimated to the environment moving forward, I think they'd be more willing to make earth-shattering moves like trading for Chris Paul or trading away Chris Paul, if that makes sense. So I think Chris Paul is going to be with the Thunder. I believe Royce Young probably – I think he said the same thing uh, somewhere over the last few weeks that he believes um, Chris is going to be with the Thunder next season. I tend to agree, but I don't know if that necessarily means he's going to finish next season with the Thunder. So this era, you know, again, the, the Brody era, let's call it, had to be more special for you because you got to get access to this team every year of this era. And all the great content that you produce, I mentioned your podcast with Thunder Die, just moving into 107.7 The Franchise and this very podcast right here. What, what's been your personal favorite memory of this team? It doesn't have to be on the court. Just what, have, what, what, is, what were you always going to take with you from this era? I think just the standpoint that um, as an Oklahoma City citizen, as an Oklahoman, Oklahoma sports fan, Oklahoma City basketball is here to stay. And I think a lot of that kind of goes with, we've seen cities and markets where Kevin Durant level players have left them and they have gone into nothingness. They, they go to the bottom and they're not good for 10 years. And yes, not all those situations had a Russell Westbrook as a plan B, so the Thunder were fortunate in that aspect. But the Thunder were still on national TV every other week. Uh, their jerseys were um, some of the highest purchased jerseys in, uh, in the entire world. So you've got people in China and Singapore, the Middle East, Europe, wearing jerseys that say Oklahoma City on them. And that, to me, is just incredible. Um, I, I think that it really laid a foundation that this is not just a, an organization that simply got lucky and drafted KD, Russ, and James Harden in three straight drafts. This is an organization that is here to win um, and be a consistent winner like the San Antonio Spurs have tried to be for their, um, for their history of their franchise. 
And I think that that's a good thing because you don't know what the future holds. You can mitigate it as much as you can by having a lot of draft picks and some great young talent to develop like Shea Gillis Alexander. But at the end of the day, you truly don't know. But what we do know is the fan interest of Oklahoma City is always going to be there because it was there after Kevin Durant left them. And it will be there well after Russell Westbrook has retired, well after Shea Gillis Alexander is retired. I think we've seen enough evidence to support that. And that, to me, is the biggest takeaway. And it makes me the happiest when I think about it. So, Brady, this has been awesome. I do appreciate all of your time today. This has been great. Let them know where they can find you on Twitter and, and where they can find your work. Yeah, it's uh, on Twitter, on, uh, at Brady Does Sports. All my basketball writings, scribe stuff goes to uh, thefranchiseok.com. Um, and I'll just go ahead and apologize, Rylan. I never even think about people, why, would they, would, why they would put me on notification. But um, <laughs> every once in a while, I'll go ahead and just tweet and stupid, silly, just BS things just because I'm bored. So I'm going to go ahead and apologize for any time I do that and it pops up on your phone. I'm sorry. No, <laughs> I'm, it's, hurting it's without, I'm hurting without it's basketball. It's worth it whenever you get the, the press releases. And okay, cool. always tweet cool. randomly about being laid, which just infuriates me. I can, take your, <laughs> I can take all of your tweets about, you know, different bands and whatnot. But when you start throwing D. Wade in there, as a Mavericks fan from back in the day, I'll never oh, forget yeah. the press release six. I mean, I just, I just can't do it. Yeah, I, I meant to make a note of that when uh, the podcast you just did with Ham. Um, I didn't know you grew up a Dallas Mavericks fan, but look, I'm sorry. 06, I'm sure it was hard to watch, but it's the Mavericks' fault. It's their fault they didn't they didn't adapt to the way the officiating was going, and that's their fault. Oh, yeah, they didn't adapt to Dwayne Wade getting 97 free throws in that series. But Dwayne Wade adapted to it. Brady, I appreciate sim- your time. <laughs> we'll leave it at that. No problem, Ryan. I appreciate it, man. You're doing a great job, and uh, Locked on Thunder is in good hands with you, and uh, appreciate the help in the conversation. Anytime you need anything else, just uh, let me know. I appreciate it, man. Be good and be good. So another, we'll see you next time on Locked on Thunder. Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. 96% of Grammarly users say that it helps them craft more impactful writing. Would you agree? Grammarly helped adjust my tone to navigate tough work conversations. And it works everywhere I write, so I can quickly communicate effectively. Your teammate used Grammarly to summarize an important document, making a three-pointer. How did he do it? It only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. You made an incredible slam dunk to end the game. The meeting was canceled, and your team will go home champions. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done.